Hey everybody, this is Chris. Welcome to Renewing the Center. Today we are in Luke 20, and I'm going to warn you, this is going to be a slightly different vibe because our teaching today, A, is a super weird moment, weird conversation with Jesus, but B, it touches on resurrection, which gets to one of my passion projects. And so I think we have to really think clear thoughts about resurrection. So you're going to get a little bit more of a sermon today than just a reflection. Let's read. Some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless, then the second, and the third married her. And so in the way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore, because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive. And one of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him another question. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Bible. God, specifically, I just thank you for the gift of the Sunday or the daily lectionary and the Anglican tradition. I thank you, God, that it gets us in stories like this. Stories that we don't maybe oftentimes know what to do with. And I pray that you would help us to know what to do with it today. In Jesus' name, give us clarity of thought. Amen. So uh, this sermon should be titled, Seven Brothers, One Wife, and No Kids. <laughs> Not really, but that's kind of the story. The story the Sadducees tell Jesus is crazy for them, especially because Sadducees did not uh, believe in the resurrection. So they're just simply trying to trap Jesus. And they tell this story that has its origins in a passage from De Deuteronomy 25, which says that if a man marries and dies without having children, that his brother should marry that man's wife uh, so that the name of the family could be carried on. So in the story that the Sadducees tell, they push that story to some sort of extreme uh, uh, place. They, it's not just one brother marrying a deceased brother's wife, but six brothers. And um, I just can't help but to feel sad for the woman in this hypothetical story having to put up with all these men. Uh, but that's the story that the Sadducees tell. And they all die. And then the Sadducees say, so who's going to be married to her in the resurrection? which is a disingenuous question because they don't believe in a resurrection. Uh, they're just simply trying to stump Jesus. So the question about they ask, that they ask about the dead wife and who she's going to be with in the afterlife carries several assumptions with it. Assumptions that I think many of uh, us in the modern age uh, carry into conversations about the afterlife. Number one, they assume that the afterlife is going to be very similar to our current life. Number two, they assume that marriage will occur in the afterlife and that in our present sort of romantic sexual relationships are going to be a part of our life uh, in the hereafter. And finally, uh, the question that's designed by the Sadducees um, is there to just 
in their view, demonstrate how absurd the notion of the afterlife is when you consider these complex family arrangements. So the Sadducees are basically assuming those three things. Absurdity, uh, that our life in the afterlife is going to be similar to now, and that marriage will be a part of the equation if it's true. So Jesus' response touches on what I think is um, foundational for us as Christians, like bedrock of the Christian faith. Number one, he contrasts the two ages, the current age and the age to come. Jesus essentially is saying here that the life in the age to come is going to be significantly different from the current age in which we live, um, and that this distinction really makes the Sadducees' question um, not even worth engaging. So we marry in this world, we will not marry in the world to come. There will be some similarities both in our resurrected bodies and in the age to come, but there are going to be fundamental differences. And when we think about resurrection and the differences, my mind goes to Jesus, as it should, <laughs> and specifically Jesus's body at the resurrection. It's really important for us to understand that the early church didn't know what to do with the resurrection. Jesus's friends were stumped by the resurrection because on one hand, it was the same Jesus. His voice sounded the same. You could touch him. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a hologram. He wasn't some sort of a um, an ethereal image floating in the in the air. He was touchable. He had marks uh, of his unjust murder in his body. So he was the same in many respects. But then he was also really different. He wasn't easily recognized at first. Uh, he was mistaken for a gardener. And so the early church began to wrestle with these ideas of like there's some similarity and then there's some differences. What do we do with all of this? The resurrection essentially began to open up early Christians to something very, very important. Something powerful. The life of God had infused Jesus' body and he had moved through death. He'd actually died and emerged victoriously out the other side. So there's something really important there for us to consider around Jesus and the difference between a resurrected body and just a dead body or a body on this side of, of death. And then Jesus speaks of those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead. And other texts make it very clear in the New Testament that everyone's going to be resurrected, but not everyone will enjoy the life of the resurrection that Jesus is speaking about here. Trusting in Jesus for salvation makes you worthy of the age to come. That is just a blunt, bold statement. Um, judgment, though, awaits us. We, we have to ultimately stand before God. Um, and some will be resurrected to life and others uh, to death, um, to separation from God. And I believe that it's really important for us to begin to wrestle with the fact that trusting in Jesus now puts you in a position where you are stepping into eternal life even on this side of death. Like I'm already living life with God that's only going to become more clear as time goes on and as I cross over into the other side, as I die, give up my body, and then I'm ultimately resurrected. The next thing Jesus says here is that marrying and getting married are not going to be a part of our future existence. And for some people, this is devastating news, right? Thinking, oh, God, what is heaven going to be or what's the resurrection going to be? Is it just going to be like an endless church service? I think what Jesus is getting at here is that in the life to come, when we get our bodies back, and make no mistake about it, um, resurrection is not the same thing as dying and going to heaven, N.T. Wright, uh, my favorite biblical scholar, says resurrection is life after life after death. So heaven is life after death. Resurrection is what happens after that. It's what happens at the very end of the age. Just check your Bible. 
So Jesus is saying that when we get to that resurrected life, we have our bodies back. We're not sitting on clouds with harps and fat little babies and angels. We are fully resurrected people in a, in a new Jerusalem, in a resurrected earth, that there won't be marriage. And that's not because he wants to kill our fun. It's not because he thinks sex is bad. What Jesus, I think, is really getting at here, and y'all, this is why it's important for you to think about what a robust life God has in store for you. What he's getting at is that our best efforts on this side of eternity at intimacy, namely sex, will fall so short of the intimacy and the knowing and the joy that we will have in the resurrection that sex won't be necessary. The Bible tells us we will know as we are known that all the veils, um, all the all the ways where humans try to find one another and sort of find one another, but it still leaves space and there's still room for misunderstanding that all of that will be re removed in, in the resurrection. So I, I'm going to let Paul say it. Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. I just want you to consider with me how beautiful that's going to be. Uh, so beautiful. Our intimacy, our belonging, our connections will be so powerful that sex just won't get the job done anymore. And we won't miss it. We will enjoy an intimacy better than the most intimate experience that you could imagine this side of eternity. And then Jesus goes further. He says we won't be able to die anymore because death, the final and greatest enemy, will have been conquered. Death is the last weapon of the tyrant. And the point of resurrection, despite so much misunderstanding, is that death will have been one day ultimately fundamentally defeated. N.T. Wright says this, death is not the redescription of death. Our resurrection is not the redescription of death. It is its overthrow. And with that, the overthrow of those whose power depends on it. Resurrection means life after life after death. It means life wins. Life, 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 life. No more death, no more sickness, no more suffering. And the reason for this is that Jesus will kill death. God's great plan will end in the ultimate final overthrow of death. So what I want to say to you is live like that's true. When you face hardship, face hardship as if death ultimately is not going to get the last word. Even when your body dies and experiences decay, there will be physical life on the other side. Life wins. And I believe that one of the things that Christians need to wrestle with is the implications for that ultimate reality in your day-to-day -day life right now. The next thing Jesus says is that we won't die because the resurrected are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. Now, I'm going to say this because this is really important. We're, we're getting into some really deep water here. Hear Jesus because they are like angels. He does not say we are angels. You do not become an angel when you die and are resurrected. That's, a, that's like a Hallmark greeting card load of nonsense. It's just not true. But we're like angels. And then he says, but we are children of God. So notice the like is around angels, but there's no, you are like children of God. You are children of God. This is some of the most beautiful language in the New Testament. We do not cease to become ourselves when we are in the resurrection. We are who we were, and yet there will be some differences. 
will be shot through with the glory of God. In that case, in that sense, we share, we will share some characteristics with angels. We'll both be full of the glory and the goodness and the life of God, free of corruption. And it's just going to be beautiful. The thing that I think is most beautiful about that sentence is not the angel part, being like angels. It's that we are children of God. And I just want to say, it's true of you today. If you belong to Jesus, you are a child of God. But in the afterlife, there will be a consummation of that reality that will go further than we understand it now. We will, our sonship, our daughtership will be um, consummated, if you will. It'll be realized, actualized. We will know our belonging in a way that will transcend the most belonging we've ever felt this side of eternity. And I just want to say that is really good news. My prayer for you today um, is that you'll live in light of the future. Um, John Ortberg in his book, Soul Keeping, said every soul needs a future. You have a future. You belong to him. You have a future. And that future is a really good one. It's a future that's going to be full of hope and full of life where your daughtership is fully realized. And I pray today that you would feel that in your bones, that you would live in light of that truth. God bless you. We'll see you soon.